there must be a grand amount of energy in the fire cloud. Do you suppose it's the maker himself who travels along inside the cloud, giving it the energy to make fire? Liz looked up at the fire cloud. It was true she had seen lightning in clouds, but never fire. Could it be? Could the maker inhabit the fire cloud? Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max and Liz. This podcast is brought to you by Playful World Ministries. Max, Liz, and all the characters and adventures of the Epic Order of the Seven were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. Oh, and by the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of the Epic Order of the Seven on Jenny's website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. That's epicorderofthe7.com. On today's episode, we'll hear Chapter 24 of The Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud. And each week, we'll take a visit to Jenny's Corner, where we'll get to hear from Jenny Cody herself, the creator of the Epic Order of the Seven. Jenny will give us the inside scoop on all her stories, her inspiration, how she comes up with these great ideas, and much more. And she'll read letters from her loyal listeners, maybe even yours. Well, let's get started, shall we? Here's Max and Liz. Bonjour, mes amis. Or as they say in the barnyard, What was that? That was me doing a rooster voice then. Oh, ah, well, that was uh, pretty good, eh? Uh, Don't give up your day job, Max. Uh, Besides, why would you want to sound like a rooster? Well, it's how you used to get your day started back in France, weren't it, lass? Well, uh, something like that. Uh, But in France, uh, we usually let the dogs do the barking and our roosters handle all the crowing. Aye, that be true, for I'll never forget the first time I heard our friend Jacques the Rooster give us his wake-up call, then. Ah, we! Oui. It was the day that we all embarked on the next leg of following the fire cloud. We did, uh, what? We embarked, uh, beg your pardon, lass, but it were me and Kate that were doing all the embarking. No, 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 Max. Embark means... And don't be going all smarty-pants kitty on me, then. I think I know a wee bit about embarking. Uh, okay, fine, have it your way. Uh, so let's go back to our story in Chapter 21. Uh, shall we embark, Max? For the last time, I'll be doing the embarking. Ruff, ruff. And you leave the crowing then to Jacques, oui? Aye. I mean, uh, ruff. Chapter 21. Au revoir. It had been a cool night in the garden, and a soft mist hung low between the rows of plants and flowers. The sun was about to break onto a horizon of brilliant blue sky filled with pink clouds resembling cotton. All the animals were sound asleep, enjoying peaceful rest, when they were rudely awakened. Screamed Jacques, stretching out his neck, his colorful feathers ruffled as he strutted around the garden, repeating his scream. cock a What in the name of Pete is all that racket? Asked a very startled Max, sitting up abruptly. Oh, that would be a shock. 
He is a rooster after all, no? He is doing what comes naturally, replied Liz, daintily walking toward Max, Kate, and Al. Kate nudged Al to get up as he slept through Jacques' wake-up call. Rudy and Rosie flew over to the rousing animals, saying, Buenos dias! It is a beautiful day for travel. Oui, mes amis, Liz replied. The fire cloud has started to move again. We must get ready to leave soon. Uh, Jacques, merci for waking us. You are most welcome, mademoiselle. Henriette and I are ready to leave. She said her farewells to our home. Uh, do you think we will ever return? asked Jacques. I would like to return here, mon ami, but I do not know. We should assume we will know, so as not to build up our hopes, no? answered Liz, a tinge of sadness in her eyes. She did not wish to leave her beloved France. She guarded all such hopes with realism. Henriette came waddling down the garden path, wiping her eyes with her feathered wing. But when she saw the eyes of the others looking at her, she quickly straightened up and ceased being so emotional. She didn't wish to appear anything but strong and in control. It wouldn't do for the ruler of the house to be seen crying, after all. Oh, Henriette, bonjour. I am glad you are here. Would you do me a favor and please wake Albert? Liz asked Henriette wisely giving her something to do so the hen would not feel so self-conscious. We, oui, mademoiselle, sniffed Henriette as she walked over to Al, who refused to get up. She leaned over the cat, clucking her tongue at how she rarely saw this imbecile cat do anything other than eat or sleep. Get up, crazy cat, she screamed into Al's ears. Al's fur stood on end as he jumped up and moved away from the loud, ruffled hen. He sat next to Max, his fur all mussed. Max just looked at Al and shook his head. Listen closely, messy me. The fire cloud is now moving, as, of course, I said it would. It is time to leave. Please eat a quick breakfast, and we will be on our way. Albert? I will ask you to carry the sack, s'il vous plaît, said Liz as the animals dispersed to eat. What sack, lad? Max asked Al. Liz asked me to help her last night to make up for what I did. She had me fill a sack of seeds from all the plants and flowers in her garden. I had to climb way up high on the sunflowers, too. Liz wanted samples from each and every plant here. Sure, and it took me most of the night, explained Al, yawning. That's why I'm so tired, lad. Al pointed to the little sack that Liz wove together from corn husk. It had a strap that Al could slip over his shoulder, making it easy to carry on his back. Well done, Kitty. It were good of you to make it right, replied Max, patting Al on the back with his burly paw. Uh. It was the least I could do, answered Al, yawning even wider and rubbing his eyes. As long as you're carrying that sack, could you carry me reed as well? asked Max. Aye, I'll carry it for you, answered Al. You're a grand friend. I'd say Liz were right. I can see some noble in you, answered Max. Hurry, you two. Let's eat so we can get going, called Kate. Aye, I finally have an appetite again. Let's eat. 
said Al, perking up at the mention of food. Al left the seed sack sitting on the ground and went looking for breakfast. When he was a good distance away, a shadow entered the seed sack. Liz sat up on a rock waiting for the animals, licking her paws to clean up after her breakfast of berries. The hummingbirds flew over to Liz and the others gathered around. It is time. As we leave, Rudy and Rosie will keep an eye up above and will serve as scouts on our journey. I will be in the front and Max will bring up the rear as our protector. Are there any questions? asked Liz. Uh, when can we stop for lunch? asked Al, drawing smirks from the others. You silly chat! You just ate breakfast! scolded Henriette. Liz giggled. <laughs> we will eat when we have put a good distance behind us, mon ami. With that, Liz jumped off the rock and led the eight animals out of the garden. It was an exciting moment, and all the animals felt a rush of energy as they embarked on the next leg of the journey. Liz didn't look back at her garden. There was nothing left for her here, so she left it behind, looking only ahead. See? We embarked on the journey. I still think Kate and me did all that. Oh, no matter. Uh, what were you going to say, Max? I got to admit, lass, that was a brave thing you did then, leaving your garden like that. Oh, no. It was simply time to follow the fire cloud. It had begun to move again, and... I mean, the way you left it. You didn't look back to your garden. You just marched forward, one paw right in front of the other. Uh, that was brave, Kitty. You are being kind, Max, but the truth is, I couldn't see any value in looking back at the broken things of my past. It would only make my heart heavy and perhaps even confuse my mind. Well, there must be something worth looking back for, then. I mean, the Maker give all of us heads that are pretty good at remembering stuff. Oui, I believe there are good reasons to remember things, and some not-so-good reasons. That is why we study history. To remember, not so we can relive the past, but to learn from it. Like the man called Noah. For we now travel to a day in Noah's life that he would not want to relive, uh, but a day he shall never forget. Chapter 22 Adam's Journal Noah knelt down next to Lamech and softly whispered in his ear, Father, I have brought my sons, as you requested. Lamech's eyes struggled to open, and he smiled. He reached out a weak hand, and Ham, Shem, and Japheth approached the dying man. Grandfather, you should come see what father is building, Shem said, taking the old man's fragile hand into his own. He held it for a moment, gently squeezing it and willing the dear man to hang on. Lamech returned the hand squeeze and smiled. I've heard. <coughs> Shouldn't it be completed by now? The men laughed, sharing knowing glances with each other. If only their grandfather knew. We could carry you there if you'd like to see it, Ham suggested. There is not time. Japheth, did you bring the cart? Lamech asked. Japheth took a step forward in response. 
Yes, Grandfather. Shem, <coughs> take the torch. <coughs> Find the niche in the cave wall, Lamech instructed, coughing. Shem hesitated at hearing his grandfather cough, but obeyed, and crossed to the opposite side of the cave, to where Lamech's gaze fell, searching. It is hidden, Lamech instructed, behind that sharp rock, the one that is eye-level. Ham and Japheth joined Shem in the search, while Noah and Lamech shared a final moment. Protect them, Lamech said, closing his eyes and opening them again. What is it, father? Noah asked, his face full of grief for his ailing father. It is his story, Lamech said as he squeezed Noah's arm. Protect them. Here it is. Bring the torch, Shem, Ham said. The three brothers looked around the jutting rock, to find a small, deeply hidden hole. Shem held the torch over the hole to reveal many slabs of clay stacked inside. Ham reached in and struggled to pull out a heavy tablet. Dust and dirt from the cave showed decades of settling, and Ham tried his best to brush it away. What does it say? Japheth asked, trying to see the tablet in the dim light. Ham finally cleared away the thick coating that covered the symbols, pictures, and other various markings. These are the generations of Noah. What is this? asked Shem. The three sons turned to question their father and saw Noah pull the cover over Lamech's head. Noah laid his own head on the chest of his deceased father and wept. Hmm. I see what you mean, Liz. Twas a sad day for Noah, a day he'll not forget. We, oui, but in the process of that sad day, Noah and his sons learned all about their family history, all the way back to the maker himself. Ah, now I get it. That were why his father called it his story. The Maker were telling Noah that he and his whole family were part of the Maker's own story. See, now that is a good reason to look back. And that's why the Maker wants us reading his story too. Because we're all part of it too then. Oui, toi bien. Eh? Good doggy, Max. That was very good thinking. Huh. And they call me Briant. Well, that be your name, lass. But ye are a smart one then, too. And as we get back to our journey with the others, you're about to see just how smart this lass is. Chapter 23 Questions with Answers and Answers with Questions The group of animals and birds made their way through the green meadows of France. Liz set the pace, wanting them to make good time but trying not to tire Henriette and Jacques, who weren't equipped for long-distance walking. Kate looked up at Rudy and Rosie, amazed at how fast their little wings flapped. Their wings seemed to disappear while in flight. Their tiny bodies zipped along carefree above the meadow where the animals walked. Liz, how is it that Rudy and Rosie can fly so fast? Kate asked Liz, grinning up at the two small birds. Energy! 
The maker supplied hummingbirds with an extraordinary ability to use energy, replied Liz, glancing briefly up at Rudy and Rosie while maintaining her steady walking pace. Where does energy come from? asked Kate. Hmm, well, the sun gives most of the energy to the earth, and it exists in everything you see. If there were no energy, nothing would exist. The sun would not shine, the winds would not blow, the rivers would not run, Liz explained as she looked at the animals around her. And the birds and animals would not fly, walk, or run. Jacques would not crow. Henriette would not scream, Max would not trot, and Albert would not jump. Kate picked up her pace to walk right next to Liz. She was fascinated by what this intelligent cat was explaining, and she wanted to learn more. How does the sun make wind, or make rivers run, or make Rudy and Rosie fly? Eagerly asked Kate. Liz smiled at Kate happy to share her wealth of knowledge with one interested in learning. You see, mon ami, as the sun hits the earth, it does not happen, uh, you say, uh, evenly. Certain areas of the earth heat up faster than other areas, causing differences in air pressure. There must be a balance in all things, so the high pressure moves to become balanced with the low pressure, and voila, wind is born explained Liz as she looked to see if Kate understood her. Kate furrowed her brow as she tried to understand Liz. She looked up at the sun, now getting brighter as it rose higher in the sky. So you're telling me that the sun makes wind? Oui, isn't that fascinating? And to answer your other question, it also makes water move. The sun warms the seas and rivers, causing some of the water to evaporate, uh, turn into a mist that leaves the water and rises into the air. When much of the water gathers in the air, clouds form. You see, the puffy clouds over there came from the rivers below, Liz said as she directed Kate to the skies. But how does that make water move? asked Kate, not fully getting it. Ah, uh, let me help you figure this out, mon ami. What happens when many clouds come together and become very thick and dark? asked Liz. Well, it usually rains, Kate replied. Exactly, rain. The clouds first have small amounts of water in them, but those small amounts turn into greater amounts. When the clouds get too heavy, the water falls back down to earth as rain. Tell me what happens when rain falls on the ground, Liz continued. Oh, in Scotland, the rain sometimes falls lately and sometimes drops in buckets. <laughs> when it falls fast, we call it a real gully washer. It makes streams of water run fast and... Oh, I see what you mean, said Kate as she suddenly understood how the sun ultimately caused the water to flow. Très bien, Kate. You understand how this works now? Asked Liz, delighted at how quickly her pupil learned. Uh, what about lightning then, lass? Asked Max, 
who had walked ahead to listen to their conversation, obviously interested in what Liz was explaining. Lightning is energy too, Max. It happens when electrical energy builds up in the clouds as charges begin separating. When the separation gets large enough, a large amount of energy causes a spark that reaches from the cloud to the ground. It is very exciting, no? The energy becomes heat, light, and also sound. Explained Liz. Sound? Asked Max. Oui, thunder. You've heard it, no? C'est magnifique. Asked Liz. Ay, ay, thunder, said Max in an almost loathsome tone. I've heard it, lass, said Max, as he walked back to where Al dragged his feet at the end of the line. Max nudged Al along, encouraging him to pick up the pace. Max had heard enough for now. Kate and Liz continued their discussion. But what about us? What about Rudy and Rosie's energy, and our energy, to be walking here now? Where does that come from? Asked Kate. Why do you suppose I told everyone to eat a good breakfast today? Asked Liz, glancing back at Al, who was clearly heavy on his feet from all he ate. Well, food always makes me feel grand, like I have energy for the day ahead, said Kate, stopping short as she realized that food was energy. It was obvious, of course, but in light of their conversation, it took on a whole new perspective. Correct, Kate. And where do you suppose food gets its energy? Asked Liz, wanting Kate to really think about things, to figure them out. You're sure stretching me mind, Liz. I would say that the berries I ate this morning got their energy from the Maker's good earth and from the sun? Asked Kate unsure of herself. Brilliant! We, oui. The plants get their energy from the nutrients in the soil. We, oui. But they store energy within from the sun. Do you remember how my beautiful sunflowers faced towards the light? If you watch them, they follow the sun's direction all day. It is quite wonderful to watch them soak up the sunshine, no? Sunflowers are the most visible followers of the sun, but all plants do the same. So, as you ate the berries today, I see, I got the energy from the plants, and that came from the sun, said Kate, grinning as she understood the process. C'est bon, Kate, very good. You are an excellent student, mon ami, answered Liz affirmingly. So, Rudy and Rosie get their energy from the nectar they drink, and the maker has equipped their bodies to use that energy to help them fly quickly. You see, there is an explanation for the way things work. Kate pondered these things for a moment as they walked on. But how did Rudy and Rosie fly so far across the great sea when they would use up the energy they ate in South America? Asked Kate, suddenly finding a wrinkle in the equation. Liz furrowed her brow and didn't respond immediately. She looked up at the two hummingbirds. That very question had bothered her since she met them in the garden. It really was impossible that they were able to make it that far. She needed an explanation. Uh, Rudy and Rosie, please come here, Liz called to the hummingbirds. 
The two birds flew down to hover above Liz and Kate. Tell me, uh, did you make any stops along the way across the Great Sea? Were you able to find food on your journey? Liz asked. Si, si, senorita. When we left our home, we were able to eat as we flew across South America. But as we left Brazil, we were over open water for a long time. When we thought we couldn't make it any farther, we came across an island about 700 miles northeast of Brazil, right on the equator. We stopped and rested while we enjoyed the delicious hibiscus flowers there, answered Rudy. But there was still a large space of ocean to cross. Did you stop anywhere else? asked Liz. See, the next stop was twice as far. I still don't know how we made it to the island of Fogo, as the local insects called it, replied Rudy. I thought my wings would fall off, but we made it just in time, senorita, piped in Rosie, smiling brightly at Kate. Liz thought for a moment. Seven hundred miles was a stretch to begin with for their first stop. But another 1,300 miles for two little hummingbirds to fly was just not possible. She became frustrated as she searched for an answer. Uh, were there wind currents that gave you thermal lift on your flights? She asked the birds. See, there were winds that came to lift us up, replied Rudy before Liz interrupted him. So you see... The winds provided the lift you needed to carry you to the next island and to other islands along the coast of Africa until you reached Spain and then France. I knew there must be an explanation. There always is, said Liz, feeling confident that she had the explanation she needed. Well, the winds did come up under our wings to help carry us, that is true. But the mystery of it is where the winds came from. For you see, at the point of our greatest exhaustion, where we didn't see how we could fly another mile, we were in the doldrums. There is no wind in the doldrums. The water below was still and breathless, yet a mighty wind carried us still, explained Rudy. We're just grateful we made it at all. I think it's wonderful how you made it. What an exciting adventure it must have been. The maker were definitely watching out for you and giving you what you needed at just the right time, said Kate, wagging her tail. Liz was stumped. While Kate easily accepted things in faith, Liz hated not knowing why things happened. Wind in the doldrums? It wasn't possible. From a place dead to wind came the sustaining winds the little hummingbirds needed, and at just the right time. She remained quiet as she kept walking, her brow wrinkled in thought. Liz, there must be a grand amount of energy in the fire cloud. I never seen fire in a cloud before. Do you suppose it's the maker himself who travels along inside the cloud, giving it the energy to make fire? Kate asked. Liz looked up at the fire cloud. It was true she had seen lightning in clouds, but never fire. Could it be? Could the maker inhabit the fire cloud? If he made the sun the source of almost all the Earth's energy, she deduced, then he could surely be in the fire cloud itself. Liz then glanced to the sun, squinting her eyes as she tried to look at it. The sun was made of fire as well. 
Using her logical train of thought, she then realized something profound. The Maker was the source of all energy and of life itself. If he made all of life, couldn't he sustain it however he chose? Even bring wind where there was no wind to help two little hummingbirds cross the ocean? Liz watched Rudy and Rosie fly effortlessly up above. But why would a creator so vast and powerful be concerned with the needs of such small creatures? It didn't make logical sense. Liz had to ponder this for a while. Wicked, you may be right. You may just be right, Liz replied. So, lass, you sort of found the line of where your brain leaves off and your faith picks up then, eh? Uh, oui, and it is amazing to see how much further your faith can take you than even your intellect can. <laughs> you don't have to tell me that. Me faith in the Maker can take me way past where me thinking leaves off. We, oui, I have witnessed that many times. <laughs> well, thank you, uh, Wait, uh, was that a compliment or an insult? Uh, let's talk about something else. Now, wait just a wee minute there. I know. Let us talk about Kate. Now, see here. I'll d uh, uh, wait. Kate? We, oui, uh, let's talk about Kate. Well, now, that's always a grand subject. Mm-hmm. Works every time. Oh, yes, the bunny lass Kate. And as we have just witnessed, for a cute petite doggy, uh, she is strong, no? Aye, and she's a curious lass. Why, she's almost as curious as a, as a cat. Hmm, <laughs> almost. So, I know, let's head over to Jenny's corner and ask Miss Jenny herself what she was thinking when she came up with a uh, Kate. Well, I can answer that. She were thinking about me. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we let Miss Jenny take us past where your thinking leaves off? I will... Wait a minute. Hello, Miss Jenny. Hey, Max and Liz. Uh, so, Miss Jenny, what more can you tell us about Kate? ay ay ay. Kate, the fiery Westie, who likes to take a backstage, behind-the-scenes Kate. She is very sweet and very loving, and she has a big heart, and she doesn't like it when people are bullied. And so she'll stay kind of in the shadows, behind the scenes, and doesn't care about being in the limelight. But she'll step up if there's injustice or someone needs to be protected or something needs to be said. And so that's what I love about Kate. Some of us are more shy. Some of us don't like to be in the spotlight. Some of us, you know, prefer to stay kind of in the background. But when we need to get up and, and do the right thing and say something to encourage someone, to protect someone, I hope that's a quality that all of us can share, whether you're shy or bold and, you know, out there for the world to see. So Kate can be bold even when she's a bit afraid. And I think that's because of her strong faith in the Maker. Thanks, Jenny, for giving us such a great example like Kate. So, do you have a question for Jenny? Yes, you, listening today. We'd love to ask your question on one of our upcoming episodes. So, grab a pen and write this down. To reach Jenny, you just email her at jenny at epicorderofthe7.com. That's all one word. Jenny at epicorderofthe7.com. We can't wait to hear your question. 
And we can't wait for you to hear our next episode, as our growing band of beasties take on an outrageous couple from Spain. Uh, how outrageous are they? <laughs> oh, you'll see. Next time. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, and the Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud was written by Jenny L. Cody. To purchase your copy of the Ark, the Reed, and the Fire Cloud on audiobook, log on to audible.com. And for all the amazing books by Jenny L. Cody, the entire collection of the Epic Order of the Seven, log on to Jenny's website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. That's epicorderofthe7.com. See you next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thanks for joining us. Have a grande! Au revoir, mes amis! Thanks for listening! <laughs>